With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 57th episode of my show. I like to use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also love to provide worldwide listeners with some practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect fright. Uh, privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and all those other many types of apps and newscasts, whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. You know, I appreciate so much all of you worldwide who tune in. And my longtime listeners know that I love looking at my weekly listener stats, which are based on just general locations of those coming through the Voice America website. And I got such a huge surprise when I looked at my listener stats For March, I was really flabbergasted to see that I had 3,500 listeners from the same location to my live show from the week of February 25th. And that one was the one about artificial intelligence where I spoke with Dr. John Cook. So 3,500 listeners of the live show just from the Elkridge, Maryland area alone. That is just, especially from such a very specific area. And yes, I realize that if some of you out there are, you know, thinking that you're going to uh, play a trick on me and just spoof those IP addresses, that's a possibility. But it's still, I think it's pretty cool. Plus, of course, there were many more elsewhere. And it, it just really blows my mind to have that many listening from that specific geographic location. And then there were all the other live and on-demand listeners. And speaking of on-demand show listeners, I thought you might find it interesting that um, in February, my three most listened to on-demand shows, that means, you know, all my shows are available to listen to at any time you want. But the three most listened to were First, the one with Dr. Phil Zimmerman about encryption and the risks of putting back doors in encryption tools. And then that one was closely followed by the one with Dr. Dan Shoemaker on the need for change controls. And that was closely followed by the one with Dr. Katina Michael 
where she was talking about Australia's new encryption law, plus so many others. Um, Right after Katina's was the episode on cannabis privacy. So that's a very popular topic right now, too. So thank you very much to all my 64,000 plus listeners in the at least 62 countries now throughout the world. I truly do appreciate you. Now, if any of you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And certainly, if you need any help with information, security or privacy, just let me know. And keep all of your feedback and questions coming in. I really do love getting them all. Even if I cannot respond to them super quickly, I do read them all. And I try to get to them sooner or later or sometimes answer them on the show. Now, my March Privacy Professor Tips message was published on February 27th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I provide them free, and I've done so since 2007. And this is my effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues, and also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send out to their employees. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. Now for my tip for this week. Now this is related to my show topic for today. So I know many of you out there and many just in general post photos of their kids online. Kids post photos of themselves online. Kids post photos of their friends online. Everybody's posting photos online and as well as posting videos. But, you know, just think about it. A lot of times those videos and photos often get copied and posted elsewhere. And often they post those under different names or they use those images for nefarious purposes, such as for identity fraud, or they use them for cyberbullying, or they use them to Photoshop. Um, There's been a lot of increase in Photoshopping for porn images. So it's something you really should think about, and you need to check on it occasionally. You know, I've checked for my own children's photos online many times throughout the years, and I do so regularly. And my sons are now 19 and 21 years old, but I want to make sure that their photos are still not being used inappropriately. I've not posted that many publicly available, but I do have a few out there. And some of you who have been to my site know because you've seen some of the ones of them with the big snapping turtles and so on. But um, I've checked for them. And I just want to make sure that um, that nothing is being done with them inappropriate. So here's what I do and what you can do as well. You can use the Google image search engine, images.google.com. And you can use this to see if the photo of your child is found elsewhere. And you're probably wondering, well, what does Google do with my image that I upload for the search? Well, Google says that the photos you upload in your search may be stored by Google for up to seven days. And those searches that you do for those images will then not be included in your search history. And plus, you can delete a photo after you've done the search 
to remove that photo more quickly than the seven days. That's what I do. Now, you can also use other search tools. I know DuckDuckGo, which is a non-tracking online search tool. You can also do image searches for that, you know, using that. So there's many other online image search tools beyond these. But so here's my tip. If you are concerned that someone may be using a photo that you posted online of your child or really anyone or anything else, you can use an image search tool such as Google Images Search or DuckDuckGo Images Search or one of the many others to see if that photo is being used elsewhere in a publicly accessible online site. So now speaking of my sons, you know, my, my sons have been listening and hearing about information security and privacy literally, literally since the days they were born. I still recall quite fondly, actually, I used to sit with them in my strapped on baby carrier while I was working at my computer. And as I was there working, I used to read my writings and, and the research and the things I was reading from other, you know, others out loud with them strapped to me because I always thought it was really good to to talk to my children from the earliest ages and let them hear about what I was doing. Heck, I'd even practice giving my keynotes and lectures with them strapped to me. And, you know, I also got them their own computers right around the time that they were four to five years old. But it was very interesting because while they loved playing some of the online children's sites and games, they really were not that interested in spending an overly large amount of time online. And I think maybe, maybe my talks to them about information security and privacy, which of course I talked about many risks involved, I think it made them very wary of being online too much. They still don't really like to get onto any of the social media sites uh, at all. And plus, they usually preferred being outside, exploring in our farmland and the woods anyway. But when my oldest son, Noah, was around 10 years old, I was helping him troubleshoot one of his online site account problems. And so I asked him for his password to the account. No, Momsy, that is a secret. You told me never to share my password. What Noah told me, well, I like that. Okay, then. So I asked Noah to enter his password for me. And when I did this, he told me to go stand at the other side of the room and and with his back to me, blocking the view of his screen and the keyboard, he started typing his password. And he kept typing. And he kept typing. (laughs) And finally he finished. And I said, hey, Noah, how long is your password? And he looked out into the distance. I could see him kind of counting under his breath. And then he said, 26 alphanumeric symbols in characters. (laughs) So he certainly took my lectures to heart. And he still has a super long, complex passwords. But sadly... Too many children are going online without such hypersensitivity to security and privacy. And too many parents and teachers are not providing enough guidance to children about online security and privacy. And and a closely related topic involving these issues, cyberbullying. And it continues to be a problem, really 
a larger problem than ever before and something we all, as a society, we need to do a better job at addressing this. And today, I am welcoming to the show someone who is perfect at speaking about all these issues, Perry Aftab, the kids' internet lawyer. You know, Perry was among the world's first cyber lawyers. She was uh, actually helped to found the field of cyber law over 25 years ago. Since then, as a digital privacy and security lawyer, Perry has advised nations, UNESCO and the UN, digital and entertainment industry leaders, and well-known household brands. But Perry's real passion is empowering youth online and protecting vulnerable users. Perry has been named to and headed National and Global Task Force, and Perry's keynote presentations and events receive the highest praise from industry and consumers alike. Perry says she believes that the best time to address digital risk is before they occur. I completely agree. Perry Aftab has been a among the most sought-after experts and advisors in the field of digital privacy law, best practices, and risk management since 1995. Perry provides some really unique insights into social media risks and how to design approaches, policies, and procedures to address them. Perry, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Well, it's, a pleasure. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be there and to listen to some of the advice you've been giving to your own children. Well, thanks. You know, I don't know. Some people told me I tortured them as children by, you know, having to have them listen to that. But I don't think so. I think it did them well. Um, so I'm so interested in how you got to uh, to children's, you know, privacy. But what legal area did you actually get started in? Um, I was a Wall Street hostile takeover and corporate lawyer practicing in the international space. Um, and the firm I was with, Dewey Ballantyne, no longer exists, but it was one of the largest. And um, I thought I was going to be a corporate lawyer. And then the Internet raised its uh, innovative head. And in 1994, I started what became known as cyber law. Only I was online and people said to me, well, you're a cyber lawyer. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm a corporate <laughs> lawyer using the Internet. And they said, well, you're a cyber lawyer. And after a while, you just give up the fight. You read the one case that exists and you become one of the first cyber lawyers in the world. So that started it. Oh, wow. Well, that's so much different than working with children, right? So so what led you into a focus on children's security and privacy? Well, in 1998, uh, somebody sent me a picture. Well, it was a link to a picture on the Internet, and it was a little girl who was being sexually molested. Mm. And um, they asked me to put the people behind bars and find this little girl. I cried. I shut down my law firm, and I sold just about everything I owned, took my children out of public, um, took them out of private colleges and put them into public colleges, 
and started my quest to find that little girl. And 16,000 people joined me in the charity that became known as Wired Safety. Uh, So since 1995, we've been working to help protect everyone online. But it started with an image of a little girl being tortured. Oh my gosh! Well, how did how did that case turn out? If if it's something that you can talk about, did you find her? I never found her, and I think that's one of the biggest failures of my life. I found many more, um, and UNESCO put me in charge of these issues for the United States uh, Digital Crimes Against Children on the Internet. Um, but I never found her, and uh, she was about three and a half years old, and. Her image haunts my hmm. nights and my mornings. Um, but uh, the good thing was it, it helped us understand that the Internet that has so many wonderful promises and can make a difference also makes it so much easier for creeps and uh, criminals to hurt us and hurt our children. And uh, we can use the power of digital technology to help protect each other. Yes, yeah, well... Oh, my gosh. I I can only imagine, you know, um, all the things that are going on. And, and, you know, most people don't even think about that. When they go online, they're sitting in their home oftentimes. You know, maybe they're in a room with the door shut, and I think they feel like nobody else is around when they're online, and they don't realize that they have a lot of digital neighbors and uh others who are in the digital crowd around them when they get into these online spaces. Um, I always count on on the stupidity of of a lot of these people. It makes it a lot easier for us to find them um, um, and do something about it. Yes. Well, uh, Well, since you brought that up, what's one of the most, you know, do you have an example of like some of the most stupid things that some of the online folks did? I mean, I see things that people put online just in general that seems really stupid. But <laughs> um, Yeah, well, you know, I, I think they fall into a couple of different categories. One is users who do stupid things mm-hmm. um, and young people who do stupid things and criminals who do stupid things. So we actually have a program designed by young people who volunteer for us called Don't Be Stupid. And it started our cyberbullying campaigns and it taught them to be a little bit more thoughtful and don't do things that they know they shouldn't be doing. So it helped. But we've seen people post pictures. Uh, We've seen uh, people share pictures. We've seen them forget that they have... um, it's, it's a public setting in the old days mm-hmm. when there was peer-to-peer. A whole bunch of them had their tax returns and other things stored on their computer and open peer-to-peer access. So people do things and don't realize that often your digital devices are the windows to your soul, whether you want people to see in or not. Oh, definitely. Well, what were some of the, the most significant risks to children's security and privacy back when you started then in the mid-1990s? Well, when we started, uh, the risks are pretty much what they are now. The only difference is uh, there's so many young people on now. So when I started, there were about uh, 2 million young people on the Internet in the United States, and those were almost all through schools. Um, There were 4 million in 1996 in the United States. So we were seeing... 
uh, creeps, internet sexual predators who are online uh, communicating with kids, trying to get them to uh, agree to an offline meeting. We had uh, cyber stalking and harassment and cyber bullying. The difference as we define it, and I run Stop Cyberbullying Global, is that if you're a minor, it's cyberbullying, and if you're an adult, it's cyber stalking or harassment. Uh, we've seen suicides and instances of self-harm, and not just with youth who've been cyberbullied and harassed. There have been at least five suicides in the United States of veterinarians um, who were harassed after a a pet died in their care, and they were harassed and hounded online, and they ended up taking their own lives. So it really can cost lives. Then you're seeing the misinformation that we're getting now with the anti-vaccine group and a lot of other things that people believe because they see it online. They're voting in different ways. They believe things that aren't real. So it goes from misinformation and hype to death um, and pretty much everything in between. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's probably... <laughs> there are always depressing conversations when we're doing these interviews. Um, sorry, Rebecca. No, go ahead. No, I just, you know, the, the topics can be pretty harsh. Yes. Well, and it's but it's so important, I think, for our listeners to understand that because I think so many times people just don't realize all of the nastiness that people do online because, of course, like, like you said earlier, there's so much possibility for good, but there's almost equal possibility for bad. And so we need to be aware of the bad so we can recognize it and try to avoid it when, uh, you know, when the indicators are there. Um, What are you seeing, you know, today as being some of the most significant threats Online that might be different uh, from, you know, the beginning when you started. I mean, it seems like there's so many more social media sites and so many more apps and IoT devices. So I, I think it, it comes from different sources. A, we don't know what we're using in our homes. The Internet of mm-hmm. Things, whether you're in Karnataka in India or in Hong Kong or in the United States or Canada or... Wherever we are in the world, we are taking devices into our homes to play music and to listen to news and to watch our television channels that aren't even called television anymore. And we don't realize that many of them are monitoring everything that's going on in the house. Uh, you have them in your bedroom. It may uh, it may be recording an amorous uh, a relationship you're having. You may be angry at your spouse or your friends or your dog or your children, and it's capturing that as well. So we don't know what we're putting into our homes. That's number one. Number two, the Internet industry isn't giving us real choices. All you have to do is think about Facebook and everything it's been doing in the secret um, to realize that even if they tell us we can click I accept or not, we have no idea what they're doing, and even... As a privacy lawyer who's written a lot of these privacy policies over the years, I don't understand what they're doing, even if they're trying to be honest. And then we have sharing way too much personal information. 
of believing that we understand who's on the other side to finally this misinformation, fake news, hype that's changing what we do. We're starting to believe people who are not believable. It's making a difference in political systems. It's making a difference in health choices. It's making a difference in what we do because we believe things when they're in writing or they appear on a mm-hmm. screen. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of scary how easily so many people do believe what they see online without even, you know, trying to think in a way that uh, is more logical. Like, does this seem real or not? You know, you're talking about the IoT devices, though. One of the tools I've used that I was that I always find such shocking um, lack of, of security controls is Shodan. And I don't know if you've ever used Shodan. It's it's often called the Internet of Things search engine. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that thing can really find a lot of um, open nanny cams and everything else. So uh, it, it's pretty, pretty alarming. So where do you think uh, we have a break coming up here in three minutes? But I want to get some of your initial thoughts on where you think the weakest link is for bringing security and privacy risks to children online. I mean, um, why is it that they are so vulnerable when they get online? What What's the weakest link there? I think the weak, there are two weakest links. Um, one is the industry. I think many of them are not trustworthy and they're not honest and they don't tell us what they're doing and giving us choices. And um, they always used to say, you know, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. And I think we need to start addressing that and holding the industry's feet in the fire. If you're going to be doing these things, you need to tell us what they are and give us meaningful choices. That's number one. Number two, uh, young people want to be private. They don't understand what that means in many cases. To them, it means their principals, parents, and the police won't know what they're doing. We need to teach them that other people and other entities shouldn't know what they're doing either. And parents need to have the conversation much earlier than they are. We're seeing that they don't start the conversations if they do them at all until kids are 10 or 11. By then, Mm. they've used every device and every Internet access. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, when I travel, and I know you travel a a ton, and I travel quite a bit, too, in the airports, I see, you know, when, when a child starts fussing or whatever, I see so many times now people just kind of hand them either a tablet or something and it's like oh there they're giving a, a baby basically uh, a device to get online and then they just turn away and you know don't don't even notice what they're going to on that that device that they've handed to them um, and I think as parents we need to know and we need to make mm-hmm. better choices and we need to make sure that our our kids are accountable for what they do and that we monitor what they do and we make sure that if they're breaking the rules, we take the device away. Oh, yes. I mean, that was always, uh, you know, very effective with my sons. Um, you know, if they did something, it's like, oh, you don't get a device, get to get on your computer for two or three days and, you know, that that's okay. That's a good way to teach them. Um, so as far as, you know, talking about not getting the information until they're about 10 or 11, that's really pretty shocking to me considering, you know, how many of them have these devices. Um, 
after we come back from the break, and we, we need to go to a break right now, I want to start getting into that a little bit. But right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Perry Aftab, the Kids Internet Lawyer, about children's online cybersecurity privacy, and cyberbullying. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Perry Aftab, the kid's internet lawyer about children's online cybersecurity, privacy, and cyberbullying. So I want to get into... You know, some recommended actions for parents and guardians now. Uh, Children are getting such a wide range of different types of computing devices from the point in time they can actually just hold the devices in their little hands. So, Perry, what what are parents doing or maybe not doing that leads to their children's increased, you know, security, privacy, and cyber bullying risks online? Well, we can combine those all into cyber safety, which includes privacy, security, and all aspects of safety. 
Um, and I think the parents are just buying things because they look good without understanding what they do. And their greatest ally in this are twofold. Their kids mm-hmm. and their older kids, babysitters, neighbors, anybody who's older than their kids. So they need to say, okay, you want that new iPhone? You want that new Android? Not a problem. Tell me what it does. Tell me the three C risks. So content, contact, and commercialism or cost. So you say to them, what kind of content can you see? Can you see pictures? Can you share pictures? Are there videos that you can see? Can you, uh, or can you talk to people? How can you contact someone and communicate with someone? And what can you do to spend money on it? What might cost me money? And who's trying to advertise mm. to you? So the three C risks can be very helpful. Then you say to your kids, okay, give me the solutions for these. But I'm going to put this in your hand, and you've identified that it has some of these risks. What are you going to do to protect yourself? Is there technology? Are there settings we can use to make it better and safer? Is time limit the answer? Ask them to come to you for answers. They're very good at it. And then you as the parent will make the right choice for your family on a kid-by-kid basis. But getting the neighbor who's just started college or is a senior in high school or whoever it is who babysits for your kids or a very cool aunt who's younger, uh, getting them to help you keep things in perspective and look at the devices and technologies and apps saying, what do you think about this, can be really great. Um, And they are free Internet safety experts who will actually home deliver. Oh, wow. Well, so let's say that I am a five-year-old and I come to you, let's say you're my mom, and I'm like, I saw a a really neat ad on TV. I want to get this iPhone now. Can I get it? My friends all have it. I want this iPhone. I want this iPhone. You know, what are you going to (laughs) do to give me an iPhone then at that point? So I think what you need to say is why. Why do you need it? Because it takes better pictures and your child is a photographer? Okay, that's a valid reason. Maybe it's their first phone at all, and you might be working two jobs, and whoever's supposed to pick them up after school may not get there on time. So they may say, I need a phone because if something goes wrong, I need to be able to reach you. Um, It could be that they have juvenile diabetes and somebody needs to track their insulin. It could be that it's just fun and cool and their friends have it, and that's never a good reason, never enough. And so then I resort to what my mother used to say, which is, I don't care what your friends are doing. <laughs> um, and, we, you know, we need to be the old-fashioned parents sometimes. But then you say, mm-hmm. okay, why do you want it? And if you can afford it and you think it's otherwise okay because they've told you what the risks, they've looked at them, they've read about it, they click around, they're very good at this. And they come to you say, well, the, you know, I can make phone calls and everything, but there's a lock you can put on so I can't use it at night. And you can make sure that I'm not sending too many text messages and you can decide who they go to. Then you start feeling more comfortable because it seems that your child is a lot more cyber savvy and therefore perhaps more trustworthy. Yeah, like setting uh, the rules for them, right? If you want it, why? And then here's the rules. Yeah, and but, but get their help because they, they are very insightful. Not Maybe not at five, uh, mm-hmm. but at eight they are. Um, at 12 they really are. And at 15 they can run a company. Yeah, exactly. Well, do you think parents are generally lacking themselves 
in awareness and knowledge of online risk, or do you think they're simply willful, you know, willfully ignorant of the risks as a, a trade-off of just having a di- distraction for their kids? Uh, well, I think it's a little of both. In the olden days, it was uh, parents just didn't know. Now mm-hmm. they use digital technology, so they think they know, which is in many cases more dangerous. But mm. they know how adults use technology. They don't know how children do, and that's the big problem. So that's why you need insight from your next-door neighbor or the kids who babysit for your kids or your kids themselves or their teachers or librarians at school. Library mm. media specialists are my superheroes. Um, they mm-hmm. are librarians, if your school is lucky enough to have one, who are trained in digital technology, and they have all the answers. So... I think we need to know more, but we need to care more because we've become very complacent over the years. Parents used to worry about Internet sexual predators. Now they don't, and they still exist, not as often as we used to think they did, um, but they still exist. And what we need to do is say to parents, there are risks. Um, You may trust your child, but that doesn't mean you should trust everybody else on the Internet. And uh, think a little bit more before we put a device in their hands that they may not be ready for. Well, it seems like, too, so many parents oftentimes um, assume, and, you know, assuming is dangerous, but assume that someone else has spoken to their children about this. Like, I know I've talked with folks who just said, well, we assume that our, they're learning that at school, but they've never really asked about it. So it seems like they should ask about that, right? Ask their teachers what the heck they're teaching them about it. Well, I think I think maybe the obligation is two ways. I think schools mm-hmm. do a lousy job of communicating what they're doing in the digital space with parents. And there are already so many challenges uh, that schools mm-hmm. have in adding this on compliance and explaining what's happening. What they need to do is when the parents come for back-to-school night or they sign all those milk slips in the beginning of the year, give them a one-pager saying, we have Internet access, let's bring your own device, or we provide the devices and we have open access in the libraries and we filter or we don't filter and this is why and if your child brings a cell phone in and they're, they're uh, violating our rules about not using it during the school day that we may take that cell phone and hold it for two weeks and uh, by you signing below uh, you consent that we can take these actions love and kisses school um, and I think we need to do that more uh, so that the parents know what's going on or at least the schools told them and if the parents don't know then it's clearly not the school Fall. Yeah, that's that's great advice there and great examples. And talking about examples, uh, you've worked with so many different groups uh, and different folks. What are some of the worst real life examples? And I know, you know, I think our listeners really get more impact if they hear real life examples of like, online cyberbullying or, or security or privacy incidents. What are some examples that you've seen over the years that really has stuck with you? Uh, individuals or industry? Well, let's start with the individuals. Um, I've seen uh, many situations where um, kids and adults, the same thing happens in both areas, are advertised for sex online. They're not doing Mm. it. Somebody doesn't like them, so it can be revenge porn and revenge targeting uh, for adults, and it could be uh, 
13-year-old who broke up with her boyfriend uh, when they're young, and they may post pictures, real or uh, morphed, which means that you put your head on their head on somebody else's naked body, um, and they can send those everywhere. They can go online and advertise them for sex. And probably the very worst case I ever encountered was a young girl in Newark, inner city, Newark, New Jersey. Um, she was uh, black. Her mother was a teacher. Um, and there was a girl who had the same skin tone who didn't like her because a boy liked uh, Nafisa, the target, better. And so the other girl uh, took pictures of herself naked and engaged in intimate uh, touching, but from the neck down. So people believed it was Nafisa, and she posted them online saying, I'm really interested in having sex with older men and and doing all these other kind of things. Um, and Nafisa couldn't understand why she was getting phone calls and, mm. and emails. And then uh, when that wasn't enough, the other girl went to gangs, um, street gangs in, in Newark and said, you know, Nafisa's saying these things about you, and she said that you're really weak and you're all wimps, and, and gang members then would would follow her on the street. So that's a very serious situation. Um, and many, many years ago, in the very, very early days, um, maybe it was 1996, there was a young girl from Illinois who had written in shock on her neighbor's sidewalk, hello, and the neighbor was... Uh, mentally unbalanced and uh, went online pretending to be her saying, hi, I've been having sex with my daddy for a long time. She was Mm. nine years old. And this is my name, address, and telephone number. I'm looking for new sexual partners and people would drive by her house at night. So using, we call it cyberbullying or cyber harassment by proxy. You pretend to be your target or you pretend to be somebody else reporting them um, and they face the um, the threat of people who don't know they're being manipulated by another 13-year-old. Oh, well, then what can they do? I mean, if somebody listening is experiencing something similar to to that, and that's Law horrible. enforcement. You have to, the, the first thing you need to do, if there's any potential threat that's an offline threat or a threat against safety um, your property, anything uh, telling other people to take action, you have to go to police. And often police won't know what to do when you go to them with this and they'll tell you to report it to Facebook or Instagram or Google. You have to continue until somebody takes you seriously because it could turn into an offline threat. And in Nafisa's mm-hmm. case, luckily, uh, because her mother was a teacher and they were just had their heads together, um, they found out who it was. I lived 20 minutes away and they didn't even know that I did this stuff. Um, so we need to make sure that people know where to report it, know how to report it, know the difference between something that's annoying and something that's dangerous. Oh, de- and especially for the kids. I mean, just think how I'm trying to put myself in their place. They need to make sure that they know it's okay to tell somebody too, right? I mean, so many times kids are afraid to tell <laughs> their parents or their teacher or, you know. We- and, and I'm actually doing an infographic right now on trusted adults. So there are oh. two things. We need to find the right person for them to tell. So it mm-hmm. could be that it's mom and it's dad or maybe it's Aunt Matilda 
or their babysitter or a teacher at their school. So it depends on the topic. If it's sexual or health-related, parents don't handle sex very well. So being able to talk to the school nurse, um, your pediatrician, a teacher at school, someone you trust, the parent of one of your friends who might be an easy listener. Um, And then when you look at other issues, maybe you've got a health issue that you didn't want to talk about or you're in love with somebody, um, each topic might require a different expert to handle it. So the time to talk about that is now and say to your kids, I want to be the one you come to when things go wrong online and offline. Tell me what you want me to do if you come to me and something bad's happening. Do you want me to listen first? Do you want me to intervene? Do you want me to beat up the other side? Tell me what you want. And we actually have what we call a trusted adults agreement that's going into the new Stop mm. Cyber Bullying app that's coming up. So kids can fill it out and give it to the parents and the parents sign it. And then you, the, you can say as a parent, I, it might be difficult for you to talk about this, but my sister, your aunt, is only a few years older than you are. You may want to talk to her about things you can't talk to me about. But know that if it's serious, she's going to come to me anyway. But at least the beginning of the conversation can occur with somebody who's closer to their age but not a kid. So help them uh, know where to go when things go wrong. Oh, I love that, to, to prepare for it, to be prepared. And you mentioned the Stop Cyberbullying Act. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I run Stop Cyberbullying Global. Uh, We've been doing cyberbullying since 2000. We've been doing cyber safety since 1995. Um, And this app was designed by kids all over the world. started at the British Council School in Madrid that's run by the British High Commission. And uh, kids across India and Hong Kong, Canada, the United States, Mexico, Spain, Italy, Wales, the U.K., France, um, South Africa, kids all over the world have worked with us to design what they want, um, and it's almost done. Oh, fabulous. And I love that it's international because I have so many people worldwide that listen. So would you mind giving, is there a website where people can go to get more information about that? Uh, well, they can uh, stop cyberbullying.org and .com are ours, but they are down because we're redesigning them because of the app. Um, and so much of the information was new, I didn't want to do that. So you can go to stopcyberbullying.org or stopcyberbullying.com and uh, just watch for when it goes live again. Otherwise, you can go to asktab, my last name, .com. And leave a message, and we'll try to get you uh, information as soon as it launches. It's free. There's no advertising. It's going to be sponsored by some trustworthy people. Um, And it's going to be, initially, it's in U.S. English, um, and then it's going to be translated very quickly into Portuguese, Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, um, and... um, and Arabic, um, and we're very excited about that. Oh, great. Well, I'm so glad to learn about that. I'm going to put it down on my uh, my browser list to, to make sure that I have that marked then. Um, so what responsibility do you think um, that the device makers and the app makers and the other vendors of, you know, computers and computing devices, what? What responsibility should they have to put more security and privacy controls in? 
I think they need a lot more responsibility, and more importantly, they need to be held accountable. There is mm. a law in the United States that has been added to um, treaties, international treaties around the world, that give special protection to U.S. companies that are involved as being providers, the Facebooks of the world. And so if you are in the U.K. and you're in Canada or other places around the world and you want to sue Facebook for something they've done to your privacy or said about things or what's happened to kids, you can't because the U.S. law, Section 230, under the Communications Decency Act, um, gives these platforms absolute immunity for what's going on on the platforms, even if they know about it. So the law wasn't designed that way. It was designed so that you couldn't sue the Facebooks of the world if somebody was saying something nasty to someone else on Facebook. Uh, But now they are much broader. The interpretation is much broader. And I just learned that it's included in the treaties. So in the United States, I'm going to be fighting to have it removed from the treaties so that the companies have an incentive to do things right, not ignore the risks. And it's such a, it's such a, you know, an ironic name then, a Communications Decency Act that's protecting those where the communications are going through. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a misleading name for the actual act then that they're using to pr- protect the, the tech companies from this. Gosh, very well, it, it was much larger, and everything else was held unconstitutional. It had to do with censorship of content. And this mm. is the only thing that survived. And so, it, unfortunately, uh, the Communications Decency Act is all about guarding and protecting the industry from a liability for what they're doing wrong and what other people are doing wrong that they know about. And you say you're fighting to remove that clause. So um, how soon is this a long-term fight? I mean, are you going to be in this for months and months or is it? Are you oh, I think, I think this is a very long-term fight. Rick Lane, who is a great um, strategist and used to be uh, the head of uh, best practices and communications for uh, a lot of the companies, including News Corp and uh, 21st Century Fox is on this, and I'm helping. So I think we're probably looking at a multi-year process if we're lucky enough to do it. So the law needs to change a little bit, but it needs to be removed from treaties right away. So mm. if you live in a country outside of the United States, reach out and find out um, if there's a treaty that binds your country to allowing social media and providers to do anything they want without being liable to you for what they're doing wrong. And if that's the case, make some noise. It'll help me do what I need to do out of the United States. Oh, definitely. I like that. And I think it's, I I so strongly support what you're doing and also uh, support people speaking up and saying things when they see something that they feel needs to be changed. I mean, we have, you know, our lawmakers that represent us um, in government. If they represent us, they need to hear from us. So we need to make sure that we make our voices known. So I, I really admire you for for um, your efforts in improving that for sure. Um <laughs> Believe it or not, we're almost at the end of our time here. So I want to know, what is the key point that you want to 
provide to our listeners today about children's online security, privacy, or cyberbullying that you want to make sure that they take away from listening today? Well, I do what I do in 76 countries around the world. Um, UNESCO had put me in charge of crimes against children on the Internet for North America, and this is a very international issue. And as we look at countries like India, where they went from no access to 5Gs, um, and even street children find that they have a cell phone they found on the street that has Wi-Fi access if they go near a train station, uh, children of all different ages, sizes, abilities, uh, financial capabilities are being given access and in some cases being denied access. So I think together around the world, we need to recognize that the Internet needs to be inclusive. Everyone, all children should have access, all adults should have access, and it should be free and it should be uh, culturally sensitive and it needs to be in languages other than U.S. English. And we need to make sure that everyone has the power of the Internet without having to face the perils, and that's my role. I'm working with Vince Cerf, the man who invented the Internet, and an organization called the People-Centered Internet that he created with Mei Lin Fung. Um, and as we're looking at trying to find ways to make sure that technology serves the needs of humanity, uh, that's something that we all need to be involved with. Yes, I love how you put that. I especially love how you said the power of the Internet without the perils of the Internet. That could, that would make actually a good bumper sticker. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you so much for being my guest today. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I know my listeners have gotten a lot out of it as well. Well, I do appreciate it, and anybody wants to help us do more of this work, tell them to go to wiredsafety.com. WiredSafety.com. Well, thank you. Uh, today I've been speaking with Perry Aftab, the kids' internet lawyer, and we've been talking about children's online cybersecurity, privacy, and cyberbullying. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Well, just let me know. And if you have other topics to suggest that I cover, send that to me as well. Um, So I'm always interested in hearing what you want to hear about and what you want to learn about yourself. And you can always contact me with questions, comments, and provide me with your show topic ideas using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings. And you can find all the recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher.com, and all the other uh, apps that are out there, and certainly go to the voiceamerica.com business channel website. And if you need help with information, security, or privacy, just uh, send me a note. I also have a YouTube channel out there, The Privacy Professor, and you can see some of my shows that I've done on the Iowa Live Morning uh, episodes and t- see what I talk about there for raising awareness. So I urge all of you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, when you go to your job, when you do your daily work, when you go to school, as we talked about today, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and how it's potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, 
ask those you do business with and who you work for. Are they doing all that they can do to secure the information that you've entrusted to them? Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe. Thank you.